you use the exact right word, it's balance, right? Like if we're not giving our children the opportunity to have the balance, like if we're just focused on saving or hoarding our money, you lose the opportunity for joy there, right? Like, and I mean that not because we just get joy from spending, but it's almost a complex in that you feel like you cannot spend, you cannot do things, and that can cause problems. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Financial Independence Show, where today we have on Clifton Corbin, author of Your Kids, Their Money. But before we get into his story, let me check in with the birthday boy, Justin. What is going on, man? Yep, today is my birthday. Appreciate the birthday wishes, Cody. What's been going on recently is... South by Southwest has still been going on in Austin. It goes on for like two weeks. Um, so it was a lot. And I know last time you asked me about having the house on Airbnb. And unfortunately, we did not have the full house up yet to be able to get that rented out. And it was also like South by was technically pretty much already over. But I did make some progress, you know, that I was proud to see kind of stopped getting stuck in like, hey, everything's got to be absolutely perfect and just got something out there. So I got the back bedroom put up on Airbnb our goal is not to really rent out an individual room very often, but the plan is like, let's get it up there now. It's a lot simpler to kind of handle than the whole house because we're going to be here. So it doesn't really matter if there's like a, a technical glitch with an automated message or something like that. And it'll be a really good test case for us where if people are running into an issue, like we'll be here and we can handle it. And then we can figure out what all those little kinks are and we'll feel a lot more confident about turning it over and, and renting the whole house to somebody when we're not here, knowing that most likely everything is going to go well. Obviously, something can always happen, but I think that's just a way to do two things. One, for us to like really just get some progress, get something listed, and two, to like actually let us work out all the kinks and feel a lot more confident going into it. But with South by kind of rounding out, you know, we just went, did a lot of concerts. Things were crazy. There's so much free stuff, you know, whether if it's if you're looking for an open bar, there were so many, uh, so much free food. <laughs> But I am looking forward to the city going back to somewhat normal. South by is just a whole different level of crazy um, because of the just the length of time, the amount of people, the number of events. It's kind of wild. Well, I was going to ask, did anyone take you up on that single room on Airbnb since it's so crazy with South by going on? We didn't get anyone run out the back room, but it literally wasn't even up until like South by was really over. Like South by pretty much ended on Sunday and that's when I got it listed. So to be expected that it didn't get rented out for South by it was it was the last day of like a 10 day affair and people normally aren't going to book something like the same day they need it so so no we did not get it rented out for then but you know I'm hopeful I got it hooked up to price labs to inject some logic into what we're pricing it at and with that and I think we've got you know pretty decent setup I'd probably do need to get some like real professional photos versus the ones I took but I think the ones I took are pretty good I'm still refining the listing but I think we'll get some hits now that it's up there I think people just typically book a little further out than uh, like same day. So, And you know that when you have a co-host who's obsessed with side hustles and income streams, I will be asking and you listeners will be the first to find out. So for me, I've been out in Colorado, got in here last Tuesday. And so I've been getting some really awesome skiing in. The conditions have been amazing. We have been mostly hitting Winter Park because it's 
like 15 minute drive from where we're staying, but we've also been able to hit copper and steamboat, some really awesome mountains and the conditions, like I said, have just been amazing. Luckily, my shoulder is holding up for those who have been following along the past couple of weeks. I dislocated my shoulder about three weeks ago. I've been wearing a shoulder brace while I've been riding. I fell once, wasn't a bad fall, and I fell on my left side, and it wasn't like crazy. I wasn't doing a backflip off a jump or anything. It was just like some really icy moguls. But all in all, it's been pretty awesome. And <laughs> for St. Patrick's Day, we went to Copper, and like everyone's decked out and all their green stuff. And I ended up buying, look this up if you have no idea what I'm talking about, one of those inflatable alien suits. <laughs> so basically it's like this suit that fills up with this like low flow of air throughout the entire day. So I have this like basically fake alien kind of bear hugging me while I'm riding down the mountain. It looks hilarious. I created a little video, but yeah, man, it's, it's just been a ton of fun between visiting friends and riding on the mountains. We were basically hanging out with all of my like college, all of my UMass Amherst friends this week. And then this next week, a lot of my hometown friends from central mass from high school are going to be coming in and we're going to be doing some more skiing with them. So it's been an exciting week to say the least, but Justin, that's enough about us and what we have going on. Let's talk about the guest for today, Clifton Corbin. So as you'll hear in today's episode, Clifton is someone who really struggled with money growing up. He's getting into debt. He's basically doing a bunch of balance transfers between credit cards, like all of the no, no's, all of the things that once you start getting into personal finance, people tell you not to do this. Ultimately, long story short, Clifton starts turning his life around, starts getting good with money and actually starts teaching his kids about money and eventually other people's kids. And now he has this whole blueprint, this whole rubric that he's built out, like how to start building your kids credit, the right accounts to set up, how to start incorporating money psychology into the talks you have with your kids. And Clifton has gone so far as to write an entire book about how to teach your kids money. And Justin and I had a ton of fun just grilling him on all things money and kids. Yeah, it's always nice to be able to bring someone on the show who's got some kind of expertise in things that myself and Cody aren't necessarily thinking about as much. You know, a lot of the things are the same type functions that obviously we need to do as adults, but the way you get that information across to a kid or some of the technicalities around, you know, investing for your child or, or your child's future are definitely not something like, you know, me and Cody are really worried about right now since we don't have kids. So it's awesome to, be able to bring somebody on the show who's got that angle. And when you think about this kind of topic, two things, I mean, one, if you can get that information to a young person, it's insane what they themselves will be able to do for their own life. But then on the other side of the coin too, like you just starting some kind of fun for them with that much time on their side, it's going to just grow so much. Like it's just going to compound and compound and compound. And the power that a dollar has for a kid as a newborn versus when they're 25 is just insane. So I think it's really important for both the parents from a standpoint of like what they can do for their kids, but also how they can empower their kids to have that knowledge to then take and run with it so that when they are 18, 19, you know, graduating college, like they're on solid footing and they'll have just such a head start on their peers and such a more stress-free life going forward. If you want to get the links to go out and find Clifton's book, or you want to share this episode with a friend, you can do all that over at thefyshow.com slash Clifton. That's thefyshow.com slash C-L-I-F-T-O-N. Take it away, Clifton. My early money memories are actually quite fond. Like, I was always keen on making money. Like, that's what I think of when I think about my childhood. You know, I had the paper out, had the lemonade stand. My dad had an auto shop for a little while. He gave me a little side business in there. So I would buy the oil for the oil changes wholesale. 
and now to retail. So making money is kind of like, I still remember the first time I got a $5 bill, a $10 bill, which is weird, but I still remember those days because making money was so big for me when I was little. And then saving also, because, you know, it's kind of like not to date myself too much, but the interest rates were getting close to what we're seeing now. So putting money in the bank, I actually got to see that if I put money in here and it would just sit, it would actually make me money. So my early memories are really about making and saving, which is kind of part of the reason why I got to the point of writing the book is because I felt like as much as I had those early memories of making and saving, I didn't get a lot of the other parts of financial literacy, but I'm sure we'll get into that more. And as you're growing up and you know, you're taking a fondness to saving money to personal finance, how did you kind of see that influencing your decisions later in life? Like as you're getting ready to graduate high school and going like maybe towards college, were you thinking, I want to create some kind of business or were you thinking like, I want to go into this career field because it really maximizes my earning potential? Just kind of curious like how that fondness for money took and kind of drove maybe some of the decisions, at least the way you thought your life would kind of play out. Sure. So when I first started thinking about like what I would do outside of high school, one of my early jobs was a computer technician. So my other passion besides business and money was computing at the time. So I thought I would become a computer tech. I looked at the stats. I was like, okay, a computer tech makes about 40000 a year after they graduate. I'm like, that's not a bad salary. But my dad's an educator and he looked at my aptitude and he's like, you know what? I think computer engineering is a better route for you. I hadn't heard of computer engineering. I didn't know much about computer engineering, but I did know it had a better starting salary. <laughs> so I was like, okay, that sounds great. But to be honest, I kind of was back and forth because I also, like I said, I like business. So there was a moment where I was like, maybe I'll go down the business route. But I, like I said, computing was really a passion of mine. So I went computer engineering and then fast forward to when I was about to graduate. And at the time, you know, the tech bubble was happening. I don't like a lot of folks that I was in school with. They were getting signing bonuses and everything was great. I struggled in school. Like I put a little bit too much emphasis on enjoying myself and not enough emphasis on the studying. And that's also when I started to get into my debt trouble. So that's when I started to, you know, build up my credit card debt and things kind of went off the rail for me in, in university or in college. So I ended up graduating a little bit later and I missed the bubble. I actually graduated right after the bubble burst. So my hopes of getting that signing bonus and even getting that great starting job never happened, which is why I went back to school to do my MBA. Because again, I feel like business makes sense for me. And then again, I graduated it right around the time when the next bubble burst. So when the housing bubble burst is when I graduated for the second time. But I don't begrudge either of those decisions because I think the skills that you can get and making yourself marketable, especially if that's the path you want to go down, if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to be you know, a house hacker and flip houses or what have you, whatever route you want to go down, it's all about making yourself marketable for that route. And at the time, I wanted to go down that traditional route of graduate, get the job, and then just work it, not really realizing that there's other paths to take. So if I could do it again, I might do it differently. But when I was going into school, that was kind of the decision process. So a few minutes ago, you hinted that there are some financial lessons that unfortunately you didn't learn so early on. Like you were really tuned into making more money, side hustles. You remember getting that five and that $10 bill and then getting the higher paying job. But it doesn't sound like you quite had spending and credit cards and that stuff under control. So I guess if you could go back in time, like what were some of the things that your parents were teaching you on the spending such expenses side, if any at all? And what would you change or what are you changing when you're talking about financial literacy for the next generation? Sure. So when it came to my parents, I feel very fortunate. Like my parents were always willing to talk to me about money. It's a blessing for me in that like if I had a question, if I asked my parents like how much did you make, they'd show me a pay stub, which like again, go back a couple of generation, like that's almost unheard of. So I had a wealth of information 
available to me, but I didn't know what to ask. And like I said, my focus was just making money. I didn't understand what debt was or how to manage debt or how to leverage debt. I didn't understand that the real goal is wealth creation. Because if you build enough wealth, you can live off of that wealth and then, you know, financial independence and you've got options, you've got choices and you've got all this space to do whatever you want. And I didn't understand that. So when you're asking, what am I doing differently, especially with my kids, it's focusing on giving them all of the pieces. Like it's not just about earning money. It's about gaining wealth and growing your wealth, whether that be through investing or earning. And then how do you secure it? And all the different pieces that come with financial literacy. So making sure that, you know, you're properly insured and that you're properly secured. So all the time and effort you build and go into building your wealth, you don't end up losing it because of emergency or a natural disaster, what have you. So it's really trying to give my kids the full picture, which is the reason why I'm kind of in this space to start with is to make sure that that younger generation gets the full picture so they can avoid some of the mistakes that I made and maybe some of the mistakes that other young adults end up finding themselves making. And kind of unpacking some of those mistakes a little bit, it sounded like when you got into college, you started to get into some of those, like having some some debt. Well, at what point did you realize that you know, like that this was a bad thing and that this is something you needed to fix. You know what I mean? Because like, I think we can all start down paths where we're doing something that doesn't end up being exactly right, but we don't normally notice it at first. It takes us a little bit. There's some kind of aha moment like, oh man, I've got myself in a bad position. I wish it would have been sooner. And to be honest, for me, it was this challenge of there was the schooling part and then there was the personal part, right? Like I was enjoying myself, I was having a good time. I got that independence. But I'm managing the finances to maximize the fun, but not in a responsible way. So, you know, I've basically the story is I got those early credit cards. At first, I was like, okay, these are for emergencies. And even that in itself is not necessarily the best way to use a credit card. But I treated them like they were for emergencies at the beginning. And then eventually I treated them like they were free money. And I just started living off of the credit cards. So somewhere along the lines in my years of schooling, I realized like I can't keep going down this route. But at that point, the debt was so high. And there was a point where, you know, I was like doing cash advances from one credit card to pay the minimum balance on another credit card, knowing full well that that one credit card that I took the cash advance on was almost maxed out. So I was stealing from Peter to pay Paul and it, none of it's making sense. None of it's working out. But I'm just trying to keep the lights on at this point because at some point I refocused to graduate. But now I'm like, I just need to get into the working world so that I can start paying back this debt. So it took me a while to, like, I dug a big enough hole for myself where I was just trying to, you know, stay above water long enough so that I can actually start making money. Because those years of school, like, I'm bringing in enough maybe to pay my rent and pay my grocery bill, but not enough to pay $5,000 debt on one card, another $5,000 debt on another credit card. Like, I'm not making any headway on those. So I, I basically made whether it be a good decision or not, I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to deal with the credit cards. I'll deal with that later because the priority now is to graduate so that I can start earning something to start paying these back. So when did I realize it? Right around the time they all got cut off on me and I had no <laughs> access to credit anymore or maybe a little bit before that. But either way, I didn't, truthfully, I didn't do anything. I just left it until I graduated. And then I said, I'm going to start paying it back. By that time, the credit card collectors had already started calling. My credit was already ruined. And I was starting from, it was a bad time for me because it wasn't even that, you know, I mentioned like the tech bubble burst, the dream job I hoped I would have wasn't there. I ended up going back doing a, a tech, you know, a technician job that I did and had done when I was, you know, doing my study. So I didn't get a great job. I actually was doing a job I could have done before I went to school. And on top of that, now I had all this debt that I had to pay off. So I kind of felt like I came out behind the eight ball. And then on top of that, my credit score was ruined. So. It was basically a lot of bad decisions compiled with more bad decisions. 
So at this point in your journey, you're definitely not the guy I want to be taking financial advice from. <laughs> so at what point does the tables turn? And when do you start really kind of getting a hold of your finances, then eventually starting to teach other people like, you know, I was in this position. This is exactly what I did to get out. How many years were just trying to timestamp when all this happened? Sure. So I graduate. I'm trying to remember. I couldn't give you exact dates, but let's say I graduate. Shortly thereafter, I start working, like I said, tech support jobs. I'm doing phone tech support. I basically, I moved back in with the parents and I was like, okay, so I'm going to start paying off these credit cards. So I started paying off the credit cards. Somewhere in there, two things happened that really changed the game for me. One, I learned what a credit score was. And I still find this baffling that I was able to get this much debt, get into this much debt, and had never heard of a credit score, didn't understand what a credit score was, didn't understand what a credit score did. I learned what a credit score was and all of the learnings that come from that. Like, okay, so this means I need to have a good history with an institution, established credit, all of the pieces that build good credit. I was like, I, I learned that. And I was reintroduced to one of my favorite books called The Richest Man in Babylon. So what happened was I paid off that first credit card. I basically threw everything I had at it. Luckily, I was able to move back in with my parents. I threw everything I had at that first credit card. I paid it off. And I tell people, like, I paid off that first credit card. You would think after having this much debt for so long, I would have felt some elation, some joy, some excitement. And I felt none of that. I was just like, I still have all of this debt that I still need to deal with. And what I did was, like I said, I was introduced to the book, The Richest Man in Babylon. One of the concepts, probably the key concept is pay yourself first. Before you pay your debt collectors, before you buy your groceries, save a little bit. And that will be the start of your wealth creation. So that's what I did going forward. I started to pay myself first. And it was in this process where I was like, okay, it's about wealth. The whole goal here is to build wealth. Like without building wealth, you're kind of stuck with the paycheck to paycheck trap. Without building wealth, you'll be working till you can't work anymore. Like it's all about building wealth, whether that's, you know, you call wealth your emergency fund, whether you call it your retirement fund, whatever you call it, it's really the key is wealth, wealth creation. And once I started to understand that, I kind of went back to the idea of, okay, what are the principles? Like I've learned how to like manage a business and I can understand. And I was also working at the time. I finally got some decent, better jobs. So I was making more money and then I was able to put most of these principles in action. So I was like, okay, I'm building up a little bit of a savings here. I've got my emergency fund. I can start investing. So I started dabbling with investing and things started to click around that point. So it took a while to get that first credit card paid. And like I said, not much happened. But by the time the second one was paid and the student loans, because I didn't even mention the student loans, by the time all those things were paid off, I felt like it wasn't just that they were paid off. They were paid off and I had money in the bank and I felt like I knew what I was doing. I had a little bit more confidence. I was like, oh, I get what I'm supposed to do here. I wish I was doing this from the beginning, but I wasn't. But that's OK. I'm doing it now. And it was around that point, too, that I realized, OK, this is something that I really want to help other people learn because if they can learn it before <laughs> before they're where I just was, hopefully, you know, all that suffering and anxiety and depression and hopefully all of that can just go away or not happen at all. So that was kind of at that point, I think I was more of a one of the people that you might want to talk to about it. I started to understand the system and I started to really double down on trying to understand how the system works. Like paying a minimum balance on your credit card will keep you indebted for 30, 40, 50 years. Like I understand those concepts. And that was what, a lot of that was what was missing from the beginning, which is why I wanted to go back and start, you know, teasing apart all the different pieces that I think we all need to know. Well, just digging in a little bit more to this kind of transformation, the debt payoff piece, you know, obviously 
being able to move in with your parents and actually getting a job like those create more of that gap so that you have some ammunition to pay this debt off with. But I was wondering if there's other lifestyle changes that you remember making in order to really focus and get the debt paid off. And then also like with that in mind, was it really like that big of a, a change like mentally as far as, you know, when you took away whatever that spending was, it was creating this debt. Did you really lose any happiness? I think that would be kind of an interesting thing to unpack. Great questions. Both great questions. So did my lifestyle change? It did. I was consuming. My lifestyle prior to me realizing that I want to get this debt paid off and start building up my credit score and all the rest, it was just consumption. It was stupid consumption. Like the stuff I spent my credit cards on or used my credit cards to buy was like music and uh, drink at the bar and all these things that just, they don't get me further ahead. They couldn't get me further ahead. There was no assets being purchased. Like that mindset of, you know, acquire assets and minimize your your frivolous consumption like that didn't exist and even just the idea that you know and i I try to make sure i stress this like all debt isn't bad but if you're using debt for consumer goods if you're using debt and it's not going to put you in a better position to pay that debt off later then that's bad debt right if you end up getting debt and that debt will put you in a better position later on then that could be good debt you know you have to decide still there's probably some risk there and some other considerations, but there's ways to, you know, at least evaluate what you're doing. So my lifestyle changed considerably in that I stopped consuming like an idiot (laughs) to be very frank. Like I was like, okay, the consumption needs to stop. And then with regards to the amount of joy, I'll be honest, like I had a great time while I was in school, but there was also maturing that happened, right? Like I grew as a person and I realized like the lifestyle I was living it works while you're in college. It works while you're young and you can stay up all night and no one's going to really know or care or what have you. But if you've got a job to go to in the morning, you can't necessarily do that. So I matured. I grew. I became a more responsible person. So did some of the fun go away? Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I get, the lifestyle I was living when I was spending everything and didn't have a care in the world was fun. But the long-term effects of it weren't. And I wouldn't repeat that knowing what I know now. But my lifestyle did change. I was very fortunate that I could move back in with my parents. But the only thing that would have changed had I not been able to is the amount of time it took me to get that debt paid off would have just been longer. It was also during this time that I went back to school to do my MBA. So I was basically throwing a lot of money at my education again, but I graduated from my MBA without any student debt. So if you can compare what I did for my undergraduate, where I had credit card debt, student debt, and I finished my master's without any debt including all of the debt that I had previous was all paid off. Plus my tuition was all paid off. Again, I had the fortunate ability to live pretty much rent free, but it was because I was doing that. I was working while I was going to school. I was making money. I was making better decisions. And because of that, I came out with, you know, another degree, but financially in a much better position. So I love that you were able to turn all that around. But what I love even more is that the audience that you're kind of targeting, they don't have any of these past mistakes. Like kids, don't have credit card debt. Kids haven't gone through lifestyle inflation. Like they're kind of a clean slate and you can teach them whatever you want. You can set up whatever accounts they need. I was hoping, you know, with your book, Hot Off the Press, Your Kids, Their Money, if we kind of walk through like, we've talked about how to raise financially savvy kids and stuff like that before, but kind of more general, I'm hoping we can kind of really dig into like maybe different timestamps in a child's life. Like what do you do right when a kid's born? Or like, what do you do before they can work from like ages zero to 10, then maybe from like 10 to 18. And like, if you want, I just love to dive in and get super tactical. Like talk about the accounts. No, I love it. Talk about, you know, all the things. I love it. So what I like to say, if there's one takeaway for, you know, a parent, a grandparent, an aunt or uncle, my one thing is 
We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash show, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash show to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash show. Now back to the show. Give your children in your life as many opportunities to practice using money, whatever way you can give them a chance to use money. My goal and my hope is that we're giving our children tangible experiences using money at an early age. The more opportunities, the more experiences that they can have along with someone who can talk them through the experiences and give them some lessons and give them some coaching, the more we could do that at an early age, the better off they will be later on in life. So right away when like they're born, it's not much you can do. They're little. They can't do much. But as soon as they're old enough to start playing and what have you, I love role playing. I think those early ages, like the toddler ages, role playing, you know, a pretend grocery store, pretend restaurant, like those are some of the best memories I have of my kids at that age. Like, you know, we made little you know, price tags. We put it on stuff. I talked to them about price gouging because they tried to charge me $500 for one strawberry. So we got to get <laughs> into these fun little like discussions, right? And that's what I'm talking about. Like if we're talking about it, then they're learning. Even if they're learning silly stuff, like maybe I charged way too much for the strawberry, they're learning that you can charge too much for an item. They're learning that, you know, even if it's pretend money, that money is something that we trade for goods and services. And they're learning these like very entry-level habits and entry-level skills, but they're learning it and they're giving them the opportunity to practice that and learn that. Once they get a little bit older, if you have it in your budget, I love allowances. I think they're a great opportunity, again, to give children practical, tangible opportunities to spend, save, donate, invest, it's budgeting, it's accounting, it's delayed gratification. It's, you know, you could start up an appreciation and gratitude practice because one of the things that you'll notice is that kids just want more. We all want more, right? Like we're all trying to figure out, well, how do I get more? I wish I could have that. I want the PS5 or whatever it is. One of the ways I like to talk to parents about, you know, making sure that our kids aren't just thinking about how do we get more? How do we get more? Is to talk to them about what do they already have? Be appreciative for what you have. Because we all have something, hopefully, you know, you know, everyone's in a different situation. But if you can at least articulate, like, be grateful for these things. These are the things I'm happy for. Then it can hopefully hedge against some of that. I need more. I want more. So if we're talking ages, and it's hard for me, and I'm sure everyone's heard, like, personal finance is personal first. So it's hard to peg down ages. It's really about abilities and interests. But once your child's old enough to do the math to manage money, an allowance is usually good, especially if they're showing interest in it. And as far as like, when can you start talking about money? Again, it's once they start showing interest, once they see, you know, you're tapping that card to pay and they're trying to figure out what's happening. It's a good time to talk to them about how the money got into the bank. The fact that money's coming out of the bank, like it's not just this infinite resource that comes out of nowhere. So all of these things can happen at those early ages. One of the things I like to talk about too, is like, if you don't have money in your budget for an allowance, 
take money out of your budget that you would have spent on your child anyway and allow them to make purchases. So let's say you don't have enough money in your budget for an allowance or you don't feel good about doing an allowance. Tell your child here, you're going to manage your lunch budget. You're going to manage the family's breakfast budget. So here's what we were going to spend on breakfast. Here's the amount of money. You come to the grocery store with me. You manage this. Okay, you have to give some guidelines there. You know, you might be eating cereal every day, whatever. <laughs> as long as it's somewhat healthy, you're probably fine. But it's another opportunity for them to practice. And if you do it in that way, you could also tell them if, you know, you keep it under this amount, you can keep the surplus. So there's to make it work where you're still giving them opportunities to practice. And eventually, whether you're giving them an allowance or you're doing what I just mentioned, you really want to transition to that type of budgeting. You really want to say, here is your back to school budget. You're going to do the back to school shopping for yourself or here is toiletry budget or what have you. Because once they're teens, like there's only a couple years left before they're going to be off managing their own money. So at that teenage years, you know, 14 up, if you can give them budgets for them to manage, for them to actually start doing some of those interactions and for them to start making sure they have enough money for whatever it is, a clothing, whatever, it gives them chances to start doing what they will be doing by themselves in a couple of years anyways, but it's still doing it in a safe space. It's doing it while you're there to coach, advise and help and support. And it gives them that confidence, that independence. Like I've done the research, like there's students who graduate from high school and college who take personal finance classes and say they still don't feel like they're confident enough to manage their own money. Part of the reason they haven't been managing their own money, right? Like it took me all of those experiences that I just explained to you and just gave you to start to feel comfortable managing my money. But part of it is I was able to take money in. I was really good at that, but I wasn't good at like using it, to be very honest. Like I was great at taking money in. I could earn money like anyone, but once it came down to spending it in a responsible way, once it came to making sure that I was budgeting and using my money for this thing and not all of these other things that I want and actually taking the time to realize here are the needs that I have, here are the wants that I have, I need to manage these before I can even consider those. And kids are in a weird situation in that really all of their needs are taken care of. Like the, all the needs are taken care of. So if we're not articulating these are needs and one day you will be responsible for them, they may not realize these are needs that they will need to manage. So it's about giving them those opportunities, having those conversations, having those discussions, and just giving them as many opportunities as you can to practice using some of these skills. And that could even be as much as giving them a loan. I talk about this sometimes. Like I was, was I 18, 19 before I ever had to pay a bill? I never owed anyone anything. And I didn't do well with it. I did not do well with paying back because I had never had to. I never had that habit. I'm sure most adults have that feeling. I have to pay back something. I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. But had I had that earlier, maybe I would have realized, wait, I don't want to borrow all this money because I don't like the feeling of paying it back. So giving our children these opportunities, especially at your early ages, it just gives them more chances to learn the skills, the habits, and the actions that they will need to take once they become young adults. Yeah, I definitely love that mentality of giving them tons of opportunities because in my mind, it's like you're giving them opportunities, but you're giving them opportunities when you're there as a safety net, when the consequences are so small. Like when that kid exactly. goes and is buying groceries at the grocery store, if they don't do the best job, they get up to the checkout and they've spent a little too much or whatever, it's not a big deal. Like they're not going to starve and they're not going to break the bank too much. You can always just take it back, you know, whatever. Like it's not the end of the world, but once they're out and they're managing money on their own, which happens so fast, like once you're actually in college and you're getting stuff, student loan debt, 
Like now you're making decisions that actually change the trajectory of your entire life, which exactly. is the stakes are just so high, like a light switch kind of flip. So I definitely love that the way you're talking about it, because I think that's so true. You got to practice that muscle and you need to do it in a safe place where you've got that safety exactly. net where nothing huge can go wrong. I think stepping back a little bit to, you know, I know Cody had kind of like a large question we're unpacking here, like that thinking about like some specific like tactical things like accounts. So let's say you've got like my sister just had a child in the last year and she was actually asking me like, hey, like what kind of account? Well, I want to get something going for them. You know, I was talking to her like, well, you know, they're under 18. Like you could start an IRA for them. You know, there are college funds, but you know, there's kind of pluses and minuses with that. What are some of your thoughts around that first account that you open for a kid that's maybe like a newborn, like under a sure. year old that you're wanting to open for a kid? And again, personal finance depends on what makes the most sense for you. And I don't want to tell anyone you need to go and do this. Like that's not my role. But if you're asking me what I like, I like the college funds, especially what they've done with the 529, where they've made it even more flexible that you could roll it into an IRA if your child decides they don't want to go to college, what have you. So I like those accounts, but it really depends. Like I was talking to a couple of business owners a little while back and they had a whole different approach where it's like, you know what, I'm going to open up a it was kind of like a life insurance plan on where they can actually withdraw some money and it can again be a seed money to an investment later on. I don't really care what the account is. I like the idea of having some type of account open for your child when they're born because what happens for a lot of people, not everybody, but the fortunate some, will get gifts. They will get gifted money, you know, from their grandparents. They get gifted money for birthdays and Christmas. And as much as I say I want them to, you know, experience and practice using money, there's no reason they have to use all of that, right? Like I can split that in half or I can split that into you know, 60, 40 or what have you, they can still have some of it to use and experience and practice with. And let's be honest, college inflation is on the rise. If they want to end up, let's say, doing something else, let's say they want to start a business and you can give them seed money for an early business. Let's say they want to do some house hacking and you could say, here, I'm going to help you with that down payment, or maybe I'll be an investor and you give me a percentage of the profits on this investment, whatever it is. But between zero and 18, there's going to be a lot of money that comes their way via gifts. And I feel like to really leverage that, you need some type of an account open. And again, if we're thinking investing in compound interest and all the rest, if you're able to open some type of investment account where there's an ability to leverage that duration of time and the benefits of compounding interest or whether that be whatever type of account it can be, I think it's just a good idea. So if you've got like a new child in your life, like one of the things I did with my nieces and nephews, I remember it was a couple of years back, it was Christmas time. It was a mess. You know, there was toys all over the ground. In a week from that point, no one would know who got them what. Most of it was plastic. It came from China. Nothing against Chinese stuff, but I was like, this doesn't make any sense. They aren't getting much value from this gift that we just got them. So what I said was, I'm not doing it anymore. What we did is we opened up 529s for all of my nieces and my nephews. I now have one niece and one nephew who are actually old enough where they've gone off to school. And just writing them a big fat check felt so much better than any of the multitude of gifts we would have gotten them through the years. And it was appreciated, right? Like they were able to, you know, different ages, so different amounts were saved, but one was able to get through a couple semesters of tuition with the check and I think a new computer. The other one was able to buy books and a computer and all these things. So it was a leg up when I think you need it the most if you can start it when they're young, right? Like 
if you need the money, access the money, take the money again. It really depends on your personal situation. But if you don't need access to the money that they're receiving as gifts, I love the idea of putting that in an account that they will be able to use later in life when it will really add value, right? It will really help to have, you know, some tuition money saved up once they need it, or it will really help to give them little seed money when they're like, I've got this great idea. And they're like, I want to back that idea. I think that is a great idea. You've thought that through. Here's some seed money. And it won't hurt your financial state if you've been saving it all along, which I like as well. What are your thoughts on gifting large sums of money or like basically setting your kids up and maybe not even telling them about it? Like, for example, if you were to have a kid and from zero to 18, you're like maxing out a custodial Roth IRA for them or something. And we all know the power of compound interest. Like that's Mm going to be millions of dollars probably at 65 retirement age. And I mean, that could basically set them up for life if you were to do something like that. But at the same time, going back to what you're talking about, Clifton, it's like the kids have to learn these lessons. Like they have to understand how to be responsible with money. Like I guess that was just kind of an example, but what are your thoughts on like, whether it's something as extreme as that, or even just like gifting a car? Like how do you think about how much to give versus how much the kid should like, quote unquote, learn on their own? I struggle with that. I think a lot of parents will struggle with that. I like the idea of learning and earning. So even like I talk about doing allowances, I don't like doing allowances for chores because I like the idea of you having access to the money. And if you don't do the chore, then you don't have access to the money. And then you're not practicing. Mm. But that said, I don't give a lot for an allowance because I want them to have to go out and earn because earning is another part of the learning and actually valuing what they've made. So I don't love the idea of like, these like a huge gift, at least not for my children. It might work for someone else's family, but a huge gift where they no longer feel the need to go out and have to do the work. No. Now, mind you, like I said, if it was seed money for a business and that was like an actually thought out business plan, like my son, he's been baking for the past two years. He just finished doing like a six layer, multiple batter two icing cake. If he told me tomorrow he wants to set up a bakery, I would bet on that because the kid's been working on the skills to do it. Now, if he were to come to me and say, I think I want to, you know, open up a car dealership, I'd be like, you've never shown any interest in vehicles. I'm not backing that. Like, that's not a thing. So I like the idea of being able to help, but not do it for them. Like they have to do the work. They have to do the work because really, and we've seen this before, right? If you're you know, how many lottery winners end up being right back where they were a couple of years later because they haven't learned the skills to actually keep the money growing. And that's what I want. Like, I want the children to be able to practice these skills so that they can use these skills. Yes, a little bit of help along the way. Like, I received help. Like I said, I lived rent-free for a couple of years to get myself back on my feet. I would have been able to figure it out either way. It would have taken me longer, but I received help and I'm grateful for it. So I'm not saying I'm against helping out your kids, but within reason, right? Like if you were to say, you know what, I have enough money so I can give them a check on their 18th birthday and they'll never have to work a day in their life. I don't think that's going to last them more than a couple of years. So I'm not for that. One thing I'm curious about, because it's something I know I definitely struggle with. I mean, literally last time I was home a few days ago, my nephew had reached out and was wanting to talk a little bit about, you know, like stocks and stuff. And I mean, he's, you know, like that 12 years old kind of range, right? So not somebody who's got a lot of money to mess with, but they have some. And I know for me personally, like I don't think you should be going out there and just doing tons of stock picking and like day trading. I don't think that's a way to really build wealth. But I do think it's one of the most intriguing things you could do for like a young person to get them interested in it, like starting up a Robinhood account and giving them, you know, five bucks of 10 different kind of stocks and letting them watch it move and that sort of thing. So 
I don't know if that's something like you normally get into or cover having thoughts about like, how do you dance around? Like you want to get them something that's a little bit more interesting and get them hooked because let's be honest, index funds aren't very sexy to watch. They're not really interesting for a kid to get into. So like, how do you kind of balance those two things? So I'll just use my personal situation. So I like the idea of that. So you're right. You know, investing is actually kind of fun to see what's happening. My hope for my son was let's do both. I want you to pick a couple of stocks, but I also want you to get an index fund and just see how they perform together. My hope is that if he's able to do both, then he'll be able to see that, you know, the stock picking probably is a fool's game. Maybe he won't see it. Maybe he will. I don't know. But that was my hope. So he had made, like I mentioned, he's got a little baking business. He made quite a bit of money over the summer selling at farmer's markets. So I was like, why don't we take a little bit of this and we put it into an investment? So I didn't give him the money to buy the investment. And it was just an index fund, an ETA, just something simple. But it's his and it's his money. And he will get that once he's 18 because it has to be under my name because he's you know 10. <laughs> but I want him to see it. And it's similar to what I did with my nieces and nephews with the 529. So instead of on their birthday, them getting gifts, we would give them a summary, a statement, a statement of account so they could see what was happening in the account. Because I want them to see that. I want them to experience it. It's tricky. Again, you want to give them the experiences, but again, they are kids. So you have to be the adult. You have to be the overseer and make sure that it makes sense for the family, for the child. But I like the idea. Like I actually really like the idea of giving your child an opportunity to see a stock or multiple stocks grow over time so they can see what happens. Right now, I don't even know if they'll see any growth because everything's kind of been down for the most part. But it's still, again, it gives them the chance to see what happens over the long term. And it's going back to the previous conversation we had about opening up accounts for your kids when they're little. Like my hope is that there's a lot more transparency when it comes to money and wealth. Like I've said this to so many different people, like wealth is so confusing in that you don't see wealth, right? Like we see people spend money. So you see like the nice car and the fancy clothes, but that's not wealth. That's money being spent. And the only way for our kids to actually understand and experience wealth is if we open up our bank accounts and show them what's in there. So if you have an account or if you help your child open up an investment account that you share with them, what have you, you give them a chance to actually experience and see and talk and discuss wealth creation much more so than the abstract, well, if you buy investments, then you will make money over time and maybe they'll pay you a dividend. Well, forget about talking about it. If you've got the means to actually show them and demonstrate it and experience it, or if you don't and you have your own account and you're like, here, this is what's happening in my account, kind of like what my parents did for me when I asked them how much they made and they showed me a pay stub. If my kids were asking me like, well, how? like I do this for them all the time, actually, whenever the moment arises, you know, there's times where I'm, I contribute a little extra money, like around the Christmas season, I put a little bit more money into their college funds. And I was like, come here, I got to show you how much you have in your account. And I'll show them how much they have in the account. I'll show them how much it's grown considering what the interest has been and all the different dividend payments and all the rest. So I show them because I want them to see and I want them to know, like, I'm saving for this and this will be yours and this is what you have and this is why his is more than yours because he's two years older than you and this is what happened in that two-year span and what will happen in two years out, hopefully depending on markets. Yeah. I mean, just showing them the power of compound interest. Like if a kid's from five to 15, they just see the power of having money in the market. I mean, man, how powerful is that, right? Like just seeing their money double decade over decade. And by the time they're like 35, 45, they're going to be addicted to it. And they're just going to have so much money invested that they're going to have no problem retiring early, reaching financial independence. That's the hope. I did want to talk about, so actually 
a few weeks ago, I had a friend reach out who was asking about credit cards. And I was like, oh, like giving him recommendations. And I was like, what's your credit score? And he's like, I don't have a credit score. And I was like, you're 26 and you don't have a credit score. (laughs) But this is a serious concern. Like some people, if they don't go to school, didn't go to college, never had a credit card, never had any kind of debt whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And I, I humbly disagree with Dave Ramsey. I think credit scores are pretty important. Even if you're a renter, like even rental applications take credit score into account. When do you suggest Clifton to start building credit and how do you go about doing that for your kids? Like what's the easiest way to start doing that? So there's a couple of schools of thought here. You know, there's the put your child on your credit card so they can start building a credit score early. I guess if you're in the, you know, the fire community and you really hope that your child jumps in that house hacking route, maybe that makes sense. I don't see the necessity of it in that most times when you start building credit, I don't know what an entry level credit score is. Maybe I should. Usually when you start building credit, your credit starts at a pretty high score. Like the the assumption is you're going to be okay until you show that you're not and then it will start <laughs> yeah. to drop. So I don't see a need to really have the kids jump on my credit card early. Maybe I'll change that down the road. I don't think it will happen. Maybe as we have these conversations when they're in their early teens or their late teens, that might change. The calculus there might change. But I think you do want to start building that credit score early. So as an adult, you want to establish credit. And I think it's also key in that like worst case scenario, if you fall down the same path I fell down and you don't know how to manage your credit responsibly, you want that to happen early. (laughs) You don't want that happening when you're 26 or 30 or later, right? So time is always the thing that we're working with and working against. So if you want to manage your credit and build your credit score, starting that early, and it's really as simple as having a credit card. It's establishing that first bit of credit. You don't even need to use it. Really, You really just need to have it. One of the factors is, you know, what's your earliest established credit? So just getting that first credit card and stashing it away and not using it. I mentioned earlier that, you know, that whole idea of, you know, a credit card for emergencies. At the time, I thought that made sense. Now I'm like, no money is for emergencies. Credit's for credit, like don't use credit for an emergency or else you'll just find yourself always in debt because emergencies happen all the time. But getting that early credit card and just having it, using it for points, if you're really responsible, I like telling, you know, young people, you need a budget. It's a great app that young people can use to start managing their budgets and managing credit card spending. Because if you're really using, you need a budget well, and that's just an app that's out there. I, I like it. I'm using it myself sometimes. If you're using it well, you will end up having the money there to pay off your credit card because it just turns the credit card kind of into another account that you're using. So I'm not against use. I'm also not uh, of the Ramsey mindset. Like I think debt is another tool in the financial literacy toolkit, right? Like you wouldn't say, I'm going to build this house, but I'm going to take all the hammers out of my toolkit before I start. Like that just doesn't make sense. Like I would not be able to have purchased my first home or my second home had I not got a mortgage. And the idea of just being like, I'm going to pay for this in cash, not in the city. It's not possible. (laughs) It's not even reasonable. And then, you know, it depends on where you are. A home can be a source of wealth, especially if you decide to do it as an investment. And like I said, especially for folks who are like, I'm going to have multiple homes and I'm going to rent some and I'm going to hold some or what have you, whatever the strategy is that you use. But if you're not using debt to make that happen, I don't know how you make that happen. And if we're saying, and I said it, wealth is kind of the core, right? Like making sure you've got wealth. So you need to be able to manage that. So I like the idea of establishing credit early to go back to your initial question, because I feel like if you don't have a credit score, you're kind of handicapping yourself in that you don't have 
all of the tools, similar to like what I said about debt, you don't have all of the tools to do all of the things that you may choose to do. Even if you're a renter for life, maybe you decide you need to buy a car and you don't have the cash for a car, you decide you want to lease a car, whatever. And the other part of it is, depending on where your credit score is, will determine how much you pay in fees and interest and all the rest. So mm-hmm. establishing a credit and then making sure you've got a good credit score will also make sure that you're paying less just over the lifetime of whatever it is that you do. And another factor that you mentioned, but some positions, some jobs will check credit scores. So it could even be a hindrance to getting employment. So, you know, if you want to get rent, if you want to purchase a vehicle, if you want to purchase a home, there's so many times where you may need to rely on debt. If you want to start a business, there's so many times where you may need to rely on debt and not having that when you need it can really hurt, which is another reason why even if you have credit, it's a good idea to make sure you're checking your credit score regularly, you're checking your credit report regularly. All of these things make sure that you have what you need, when you need it, if you need it. So this next situation might be kind of like a rare fringe one, but I know it's like how I found myself when I was a kid where I actually fell in love with saving money so strongly so early that I actually was like not spending my money. Like when people would give me presents for birthdays and whatever, I was just kind of hoarding it, putting it back to the point where my parents are like, well, you need to spend like some of it. You need to like enjoy some of it. (laughs) And so I'm curious if that ever comes across with, you know, when you're working, like teaching kids, if there's a point where, you know, like kids start to take it to the extreme the same way some adults do, especially in this kind of fire movement where you're trying to teach them that balance between like, yes, you want to save money, but like also like don't make this your complete identity where all you're doing is chasing a high score, like understanding that it's a tool to get you happiness and there's a blend there. Yes. You use the exact right word. It's balance, right? Like if we're not giving our children the opportunity to have the balance. Like if we're just focused on saving or hoarding our money, you lose the opportunity for joy there, right? Like, and I mean that not because we just get joy from spending, but it's almost a complex in that you feel like you cannot spend, you cannot do things, and that can cause problems. One of the things I like to say when I'm talking to other parents is, make sure you're giving your child opportunities to spend their money. It's a weird thing to say, but it's, you know, as a parent, we often think, well, it's not wrong. It's our obligation to provide, provide everything, provide all of the things that our child needs. And it's true. That is our role. That's what we're supposed to do. But while doing that, we should also be providing them opportunities to, like I said before, use their money, practice using money. So I was talking to someone just recently and they said, you know, their child was going on a field trip. And they asked for money for the field trip. The dad who I was speaking to said, yeah, I'll pay for the field trip. And he's like, oh, and I need some more money because I want to you know, buy some stuff while I'm on the field trip. And this is a child who has access to money. He's a saver. He likes to save. And I was like, yeah, I wouldn't give him any money to spend <laughs> on the field trip. This is an opportunity for him to use the money that he's acquired to go and have some fun, to go and do those things. You know, I have no problem with you paying for the field trip because that's the opportunity that, you know, your child wants to go on and you have the ability to do it. So that's great. But now as, you know, a chance to actually use some of their money while they're on that trip, let them use some of their money. Maybe give them, you know, some or not all or what have you. But I really think, again, the way you said that, it's about making sure there's balance because just saving and the, the counter to that, just spending can have big ramifications, especially down the road. Like if you're just a hoarder, that's basically what you're doing. You're hoarding money. You won't feel financially well. You can't because you feel stuck. You will feel like you cannot do the things that you want. You will hold yourself back. 
So it's about having balance. And it's another one of those habits and skills that I think parents and adults can give young people early in life. So as we start to wrap this thing up, Clifton, I was hoping you could give us just a quick 10,000 foot overview of what your latest book, Your Kids, Their Bunny is all about, and then also where people can check it out. Sure. So a lot of what we were just talking about. So I wrote it because, like I said, I had access to saving and earning, and I wanted to make sure that parents and kids have access to the whole wealth of financial literacy so that parents know how to talk to their kids about wealth creation, about insurance, about taxation, about all the different parts of financial literacy. So I wrote Your Kids, Their Money so that, you know, parents who may not feel like they have the language or they may not know where to start with these conversations will have the tools, the tips, the resources. There's a bunch of activities that the book mentions that you could do with your kids. It talks about you know the do's and don'ts of allowances. It talks about all of those different pieces. So that's why I wrote Your Kids, Their Money. It's really to make sure that parents feel like they have the skills that they need to start talking about financial literacy. It's available on Audible. It's available on Amazon. It's available pretty much anywhere books are sold. You can find more links to it on my website, cliftoncorbin.com. And there's also my other book as well, The Update to the Richest Man in Babylon, which I put out a little while ago. That was a fun one. I'm assuming both of you are familiar with the book. Mm -hmm. It's a phenomenal classic within the personal finance space. I tried reading it to my son and he was just like, no, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) So I realized that the book was over almost 100 years old. So it's in the public domain. So you can kind of do whatever you want with it. So between him and me, I would read some to him and he would be like, I don't understand what you're saying. I'd rewrite it. And then if I read it back to him and he's like, I get it, it would stay. So between he and I, we edited the Richest Man in Babylon. So that's my other book, and that's available on Amazon. Pretty much Amazon is where you can find that one. So there's the Kindle version and the paperback for that one. Well, Clifton, thank you so much for coming on and giving us some time. I mean, it's such an important topic because, again, if you can arm children with the kind of tools about money and just the interest in it, the things that they can do in life, if they hit the ground running when they're 18 with a good head on their shoulders and an interest in it, I mean, it's going to be insane the amount of progress that they can make. So I really appreciate what you're doing and giving us a little time to talk about it. Oh, I, I appreciate having the chance to talk. And thank you both for doing what you're doing. I wish I had a podcast like yours when I was younger. So thank you for doing what you're doing. I really appreciate it. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to another episode of The Fi Show. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, share this with a friend, and also don't forget, you can find 200 plus episodes and all the information you'd ever want to have about these episodes over at thefyshow.com. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because that way every Wednesday you can have our latest episode delivered straight to your phone. Until next time. Hey, real quick before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available. The very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.